Welcome back, everybody. We know it's been a really long time since we have released a new episode of Catching Up on Crime, but we're back. My name's Jenna. I'm coming on Zoom with my mom. I'm actually in the gym parking lot in Arizona. (laughs) Where are you, mom? Well, I am just sitting in my basement in Orange City, Iowa. So um, actually Alton, Iowa, uh, the suburb of Orange City, which is a city of a whole 5,000. But anyway, yes, we've, we kind of took a break there. And so a lot of things have gone on, but I don't know that we're really going to address any of that really. Jenna, COVID is happening. It's still going on. We're on like four months of it. So everybody's mm-hmm. living it. So I don't think we really need to talk about it. Yeah, but some good things happened for us as well. Caleb, my brother got married. So that was also a big reason, not just COVID, that we haven't released an episode yet. Yes, um, that, was, that was a really good thing. Uh, our family yeah. came together and celebrated their wedding and adding Kaylee to our family. And mm-hmm. just very thankful for those things. Thankful that that could still happen in the midst of this COVID. Thankful that we could have a celebration and be together. Yeah, well, it just shows that you know, as scary as this all is, and as scary as it is to think that the world is really changing, you know, our social lives and stuff like that, there's alterations to those. Even like when I left the house, I like, we have like a bowl of masks. Like, when did we ever think that that would be a thing, you know? But at the same time, it is changing. We're still like getting through it together. You know, there's still, we can still have good times and good memories during all of this. So that was a really nice thing that happened that reminded me at least that you know it's not all bad right now and we do need to be reminded of that but this episode is a special episode because we're both kind of talking about cases my mom's going to talk about a new case that I haven't heard um, and I'm going to give you guys a little update on on the case against Lori Velo and Chad Debo which we actually talked about in the last episode so do you want to get into it mom Yeah. I think, unfortunately, these two cases are similar in that they involve children and abuse, but we need to talk about that. And Mm -hmm. I think people are probably really interested in your update of the Velo case because that's been like all over, all over the news, all over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Today, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like calling you, texting you. Did you see this? Did you hear this? Do you know what's going to happen here? And I know so, my sister was one of the ones that actually, my Alicia texted me before you did. Oh, wow. And then she's so funny because I, you know, she, I talked to Alicia say a lot, but like, she's like, oh my gosh, like, look at this. And then I talked to you and I was like, wait, I haven't even talked to you about this. I talked to Alicia about this. I think we've gotten Alicia into uh, True yeah. Crime too. She used to not yeah. be really into it. And now she listens to our podcast. And so now she's, she's one of us, Jenna. We might have to add her to our podcast. Yeah, well, it's been kind of cool because actually there's a lot of family uh, members and random friends and family of friends that have that have come out and been like, oh, we listen to your podcast. And we're like, what? We do this for fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we do it for fun and to, to bring light to victims, um, families and stuff like that. But like, I don't think we expected, like, you know, there's people we knew we would that would like it. But then there's, um, I've had, you know, random people be like, are you guys releasing a new episode? And I'm like, do you listen to <laughs> 
I know that's been the thing is in the last couple of months that we've been off, I've had several people say, you know, did I miss an episode? What's, what's going on? And, and as good as that is to hear, because I'm glad people are listening to us and and enjoying it. It's like, oh, okay, we got to do this. And yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think people realize how long it takes to put this together. And again, we do it for fun and we're enjoying it, but it does take a lot of time. Yeah. I get people that ask, you know, when's a new episode or I get, I've gotten a few people that are like, yo, you should talk about this guy, like this crazy guy that did this and this. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I have a few saved from people showing me cases and stuff like that. So we'll get to those eventually actually. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's get into today's cases. All right. So if you haven't listened to our catching up on crime episode number seven, where I laid out all the details concerning Lori Velo and the disappearance of her two children, as well as her husband, Chad Daybell, author of Doomsday Latter-day Saints books. I would encourage you to just stop this episode right now and go listen to that one first. So a lot has happened since we released that podcast episode, and we would just like to give you all a little update on the situation um, and first, I will, I'll do a little recap if you have listened to episode seven and need a little refresher, because if you all remember, it was a, it was a long one filled with crazy and unexpected details that are very important to the ongoing investigation. We did the episode on Lori Velo, who married four times before her fifth and current husband, Chad Daybell. Um, her third husband and father of her daughter, Tylee, died of an apparent heart attack in 2018. Um, Lori adopted her third child, JJ, with her fourth husband, Charles Velo. And in 2019, Lori's brother, Alex Cox, shot and killed Charles in her home in Chandler, Arizona. So at this time, there was evidence of Lori becoming um, obsessed with end of times preparations and that she believed that she was, quote, reincarnated as a god sent to lead the Mormon people in Christ's second coming, end quote. So Charles' family then hired a private investigator that discovered several other key things about Lori, including that she was disappearing for months at a time, siphoning money from Charles's accounts, and that she attempted to receive a $1 million life insurance policy on Charles. Now enter Chad Daybell. So Chad was married to Tammy Daybell um, when he met Lori, But in October of last year, Tammy was found dead in the bed she shared with Chad. At the healthy age of 49, Tammy supposedly died of natural causes, but no autopsy was ordered. Chad claimed that Tammy relayed messages to him during her departure from this world, indicating that he had a purpose to serve in some important Latter-day Saints missions before the end of the world. Chad also collected a hefty life insurance policy on Tammy, and a week and a half later, he married Lori Velo on the beaches of Hawaii. So it was around that time that friends and family of Lori's two children, Kylie and JJ, realized that they hadn't seen or heard from the children in months. Kylie stopped FaceTiming her older brother and Lori's firstborn son, Colby Ryan and JJ's grandmother, so she called the police in mid-November to perform a welfare check on JJ because she was concerned. On November 26, authorities show up to Lori and Chad's residence in Idaho and ask her to produce her son. Uh, And she says that he is with his grandparents, which the authorities know to be false as JJ's grandmother was actually the one who called them to report JJ missing. 
So the next day, Lori and Chad Daybell fled to Hawaii. And this is when the FBI steps in. So an autopsy is ordered on Tammy Daybell and her body is exhumed. And just one day after that information was leaked, Lori's brother, Alex Cox, was found dead. So for months, the media follows as the newly married couple, Lori and Chad, are pictured island hopping and appear to be having a great vacation, even though Lori's two children have now been missing for months. Finally, in late January of this year, law enforcement serves Lori with a child protection order to produce her children to Idaho's Department of Health and Welfare. When she refuses to cooperate with law enforcement, she is arrested and taken into custody. And then she was extradited back to Idaho. So that was really all we knew of as of late April when we released our podcast episode on this couple. And at that point, Lori had pending charges of child desertion, as well as being a suspect now in her fourth husband's death, Charles Bellow. Chad Daybell had not been charged, but was under investigation regarding his first wife's death. And the children were still missing. Now some chilling details have emerged. So in the beginning of June... Authorities requested the cell phone data of Lori's now deceased brother, Alex. Now, Tylee was last seen in photos on September 8 at Yellowstone National Park. With the cell phone records, they found out that after the trip, Alex went to Lori's townhouse in Rexburg, Idaho. A couple hours later, Alex's phone pings at the Daybell's home, and he is there for roughly 2.5 hours. And at that time, Chad is still married to a very alive Tammy Daybell. This is in September 8th. So that just begs the question, what in the world would Alex Cox be doing at the Daybell's residence? About 14 minutes after Alex's phone last pings at the Daybell's property, just before noon, Chad texts Tammy, well, I've had an interesting morning. He later said he burned some tree limbs and shot, killed, and buried a raccoon in their pet cemetery. So he sent all of that to her via text. Now, JJ was actually last seen on September 22. Lori said that she had Alex take JJ to her townhouse because he was quote unquote acting up. Lori had said that her son was acting like a zombie, climbing on shelves and knocking over pictures of Jesus. And this is all just in like kind of random um, interviews that the authorities had with Lori. Because if you remember from that episode, she just kept changing her story about where he was and where the kids were and stuff like that. So her story was that she had Alex take JJ to her townhouse in Rexburg. However, Alex's phone records show that the next morning around 10 a.m., he was back at the Daybell's home in the backyard near the pond. So then you'll remember, obviously, a month later is when Tammy dies. So Alex is like all over their house and in their backyard and stuff. And this is all when, you know, Chad and Tammy are still very much together, married, Um, and whatnot. On June 9, police get a warrant to search Chad's property and use the cell phone pings of where Alex was to start digging. Um, And I think we all unfortunately know what happened next. According to the probable cause affidavit, JJ was found well-preserved and was visibly identifiable by officers and relatives. JJ's body had been wrapped in two layers of plastic and buried under a layer of flat paneling and rocks. Tylee's remains, however, were too damaged by fire and dismemberment and no longer had any recognizable features. Tylee was identified, however, by matching an irregular jawline with an x-ray of when Tylee was alive. Officials say they are now in the process of verifying uh, identification with a DNA test as well. 
Lori's charges have now been changed to include two additional charges of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration of concealment of evidence, um, and Daybell has now been charged with two counts of destruction, alteration, and concealment of evidence. They both pleaded not guilty to all these charges, and no charges have been filed for the deaths of the children yet. Lori's hearing was actually held just yesterday via Zoom, and I watched it. She and her attorney were present, along with the judge, the prosecuting attorney, as well as her son, Colby Ryan, and his wife. So they also were watching the, um, the hearing. Her charges were read to her, and something to note that, like, basically the only important thing I got from the hearing was that the judge at one point asked Lori's defense attorney, Mark Means, if he had ever represented anyone else involved in this case, to which he responded no. So then the prosecuting attorney provided a statement that Mark Means did in fact represent Chad Daybell at his bail hearing. So now the two are supposed to provide explanation as to why, whatever, and so then the case can be continued. So her next hearing is now scheduled for August 10 and 11. Chad's initial hearing was June 10th, but his next hearing, Chad Daybell's initial hearing was June 10th, but then he had another hearing today actually at 1 p.m. where um, the more charges were read to him. It was again on Zoom due to COVID. So the judge was there and then the state's attorney, the prosecuting attorney is the same, Rob Wood. He's uh, the attorney for both cases. I don't know if they're like trying them together or how that really works because right now it's just a court hearing. So, you know, Chad's there with his attorney and then they just read his charges and the the two new um, felonies this week to uh, say that they they understand yeah Um, so what were his new charges because like this is what this literally says chad daybell made another court appearance wednesday after he was charged with two new felonies this week court documents state daybell was charged with two felony counts of conspiracy to commit destruction altercation or concealment of evidence after police searched his home for the third time investigators found the bodies of jj and tylee at daybell's property last month so Even as we speak right now, neither one of them have been charged with murder or anything involving the deaths of the children. No. So um, they both just have the same two felony charges of conspiracy to commit alteration, destruction, or concealment of evidence. And Lori also has charges for child abandonment from earlier from that's when she was originally extradited from Hawaii but we do know that because of the documents that the prosecuting attorney has requested we know that she Lori Bello is a suspect in the murder case where Alex her brother shot her fourth husband because they've been requesting documents like from his bank account and other stuff like that and then we also know that uh, Chad Daybell is also a suspect in his in Tammy's murder because there's police or there's um like dispatcher audio of the two counties calling to get information about like each case. Does that make sense? Yeah. So ultimately, this case is not near over because no. we have multiple bodies, especially now with the two kids being found, and no charges of murder or attempted murder or anything on any of them. But she's looking at charges for um, killing her husband. He's looking at charges for killing his wife. And then they're both probably looking at charges for the kids. Uh, Right. And there's also the suspicious death of Alex, her brother, 
who I believe, you know, and I think what they're kind of insinuating that Alex is probably the one that killed all of them because he, we know he killed Charles and it was uh, deemed self-defense. And if you remember in the first episode, mom, when we talked about that weird incidence that Tammy had with the man and that like Alex was all like all over the place, like he'd be in Arizona or then he'd be in Idaho. And so I, I mean, she died in her sleep. So I don't think it doesn't necessarily could have been Alex, but I think he might've had something to do with it because the day after her body was exhumed, he mysteriously died. And um, something to know is it's actually now been six months since Tammy's body has been exhumed and we still don't have autopsy results. Those have been quote unquote delayed, but we know what that actually means is that authorities just are not going to release the details of that autopsy until their investigation is complete. Yeah, there's still, I mean, all of the deaths obviously have not been like accounted for. I'm getting the impression that that Alex is the one who, who uh, I don't know if he necessarily killed the children, but he clearly helped in disposing their bodies because he was there. And they think the kids were buried for um, like a month before Tammy even died. Oh, really? Okay. Right. So because September 9 and September 22 were the last times that they were seen. And Tammy Daybell died, I think, on October 20th, somewhere around there. This is, you know, this is just really a crazy story because it just yeah. getting so many people involved and so many deaths involved. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the first podcast that we did, we kind of alluded, you know, that it, the likelihood of finding these two kids alive was was pretty slim. But it's still very unfortunate to find what they found in the remains, especially with Tylee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they clearly, they dismembered her and they, they burned her. And, you know, Chad's the one, Chad then texted his wife and, you know, had an explanation for why. Because there was, I read somewhere that um, the neighbors said that they never saw Chad ever use his fire pit. But they remember that about a month before Tammy died, that it, it was used. And so we're assuming that that's when they burned Tylee's body. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any other news about his hearing because I didn't watch it all. But I, it's, it's like I said, just a hearing. So, and his, his bail is also set at a million. I know that last time we kind of ended with Lori's bail. So Lori's been in jail for a while now, and yes. Chad Daybell though just was arrested at the beginning of this month. Yes, correct? but he yes. remains in jail as well now. He's not out there, on bail or. They're both, they're both in jail and her bail, so her initial hearing, like back in what, January, uh, her bail was reduced from 5 million to 1 million. But if you remember, we, she, she couldn't find a bond company to work with her. And honestly, I think it is ridiculous that either of them even get the option to post bail because they're clearly flight risks. Like they've already fled the country, spent months in Hawaii while these kids were missing. I don't know if they'll even get bail. And she, for some reason, um, has to stay in, like, Madison County if she does get bail. Them moving all over the place is also kind of a, an obstruction with this investigation just because some counties can't press charges because it's not in their jurisdiction and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have moved all over and they have right. eluded a lot of things. And Like, she said that JJ was, like, in Arizona. And so then Arizona's like, well, he's not here. You know what I mean? So it was... For a while, that's kind of how they got away with a lot of this because, you know, then she said they she was going to homeschool the kids. So they weren't, they didn't have like a concrete like residence, you know? 
Yeah. And it's sad that they had the opportunity to get bail to me just because of the heinous crimes, multiple mm-hmm. crimes that they mm-hmm. are not charged with yet, but everyone pretty much knows they had a part, a big part in all of them. Yeah. So now Chad's next hearing is scheduled for August 3 and 4. Charges that are against them right now, conspiracy to conceal evidence is punishable with up to five years in prison. I mean, it's just, it's hard to clearly and hopefully there's got to be a lot of work still going on that we don't know about because I just don't think there's no way that they're not going to press for further charges against the, um, the couple. So I don't know, like this seems like they're just charging them with what they can at the moment to keep them in jail. There is, there's definitely more investigations going on regarding the other deaths and the, the deaths of the children. Yeah, I would agree. There's, there's going to be more charges to come. And I think now that they're at least both in jail where they belong, you know, the police can take their time a little bit in putting a case together against them both. So thanks, Jenna, for that update. And you know what? I'm guessing I know that there's going to be another update probably soon. Right. Well, yeah, necessary is just because they did find the, the children's bodies, which we, you know, unfortunately assumed was going to happen. Um, but any updates from now on will just be like court updates. Yeah. And hopefully they, they get the justice that those children deserve. So. Okay. Well, Jenna, today my case is, it's an older case. Uh, well, not too old. It's from 2002. Um, but it's also kind of a local case. So I don't know if you'll be familiar with this, if you've ever heard of this. I definitely remember this case. And I guess, you know, I've kind of been doing more Iowa cases because I don't think other podcasts really do. They forget that Iowa is a state. Um, <laughs> so, you know, having it be around here, though, it's it's interesting. And I know a lot of people around here are listening to our podcast. So I hope they find this interesting. Um, and I hope they find some new information out because as I was doing research on this, I definitely did not know some of this stuff. So here we go. So on January 2, 2002, police arrived at Lisa and Donald Boss's house to question them about their 10-year-old special needs son, Timothy, who had not been seen in 18 months. The police went to the home in Remsen, Iowa, after getting a call from a concerned family member in Michigan that they did not know what happened to Timothy, that they hadn't seen him, they hadn't talked to him, and they just didn't know where he was. So Lisa informed the police when they arrived that Timothy had gone to live with her sister in Kentucky. And Donald had said something later on of that Timothy was difficult to take care of. And so they sent him basically to her sisters to give them a break. So after hearing that, police left only to return later that evening to find that Lisa Boss had fled with her nine children from Remsen. Instead, police found just her husband, Donald Boss, alone in the home, and he informed them that Lisa left with their children, including Timothy. He told police, quote, guess I bought a year and a half and it's over. My life is over now, end quote. Donald agreed to go with the officers back to the police station, which was in Lamar's, Iowa. On the way to the police station, he made several statements, such as Timothy had fallen and hit his head and that he had been given too much Doxel, a drug used for treatment of ADHD. He was then arrested later and charged with first-degree murder and child endangerment. 
Lisa was found three days later in Montana and was brought back to Iowa. So that gets a little confusing there because first Donald is saying that Lisa left with Timothy. Then he's kind of saying that, you know, something happened to Timothy. So in this ride from Remsen to Lamar's, which is about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it sounds like he's talking a lot to the police and they put some things together. And later on that evening, he was arrested. Lisa Bossigan was brought back to Iowa. She was not charged with any crime right away, but was arrested on a material witness warrant and remained under house arrest. She invoked her Fifth Amendment right to protect herself during earlier court proceedings. So Donald and Lisa Boss had five biological children and other adopted children and then even more foster kids. I really, in all the research I did, could not figure out how many foster kids they had in and out of their house or how many they really had adopted. It was just kind of unclear. But Will, Rudy, Timothy, and one other younger brother were adopted by the bosses in Michigan before they moved to Remsen, Iowa. Some of the children attended the public school in Remsen, and for reasons I have no idea of, others were supposedly homeschooled. And Timothy was one that was homeschooled. Jenna, you know, as you can imagine, in a community as small as Remsen, um, Remsen has a population of around 1,700. This was big news. The trial would be held in Lamar's, which was, again, 15 to 20 miles down the road. Um, when was this? Sorry. So this was in 2002. Okay. They were arrested. You know, even Lamar's, you know, the population's only around 10,000. So it's still very small compared to, you know, bigger cities, obviously. And mm -hmm. everyone knew about this case. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. in the area knew about this case. Donald's public defender, Mike Williams, made a motion for the trial to be moved. This request was denied. Donald's defense consisted of presenting evidence that there were cigarette butts near Timothy's burial site that were Lisa's, as well as since the boy was bound for several hours, um, it may have been another child within the house that caused Timothy's death. Wait, wait. He was buried? Yeah. Sorry, I will get to that. Okay. Um, it was determined in the trial that began on November 20, 2002, that Lisa and Donald beat Timothy to death as he was tied to a folding chair. Mm. Then they buried the child beneath the basement in their Remsen, Iowa home. Donald Boss was the one to state where the body was buried. However, he testified that he did not kill Timothy and did not know who tied the boy to the chair. Wait, they buried him in their basement? Yes. So How do you even do that? They, it was an unfinished basement? Well, they must have, you know, like dug up the concrete because the body of Timothy was oh found under concrete flooring wrapped in a blanket. They must have dug up the concrete, you know, wrapped him in a blanket, put him in there. And then there was also like a plywood or not plywood paneling covering the body. And then mm. they poured more cement on top of that. So due to there being little soft tissue on the body, no specific cause of death could be determined. However, his skeletal revealed evidence of fractured bones. The bosses told people in the community that they had taken Timothy back to Michigan. However, it was also determined that Donald filed a report with the state of Michigan to continue to receive subsidies for his adoption. Wait, I'm sorry. You can get paid to adopt children? Yeah. There's all these subsidies that you can still get after you adopt children. And um, 
I think that's less and less now, but in, in this time, it, yeah, it was probably quite okay. a bit of money. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it's kind of, it always kind of irks me when you hear that people are adopting people or fostering kids. My like, gosh, but I have so much on my plate. And it's like, then why are you doing like, that's kind of where people get that idea of, Oh, people only foster for the money when that's not really the case. Oh yeah. And you, and you know, you do hear stuff like this. You're going to even get more upset if that's your thought right now. <laughs> Great. In the hearings leading up to Donald's trial, um, Donald Boss's parents stated that Lisa overmedicated Timothy and that the children were placed in animal cages by not only Lisa, but uh, her mother as well as a punishment. And Donald's brother, David, who remember that name because we will talk more about him later. He told the local newspaper, quote, the true fact is Roman suffocated Timothy to death, end quote and Roman being one of the other adopted children. Uh, David continued to blame everyone from welfare officials in Michigan to law enforcement investigators for the death of Timothy. Claxton Boss, who was 15 at the time, reported to police that his brother, Timothy, was beaten by his mother and father with a wooden paddle. They also tied him to a chair for hours at a time and at least once for an entire night. Will, another one of Timothy's brothers, stated that the boys made holes in their room because they were locked in. They were not allowed to leave the room at night to use the bathroom and had to wear diapers instead. He also testified in court that the last time he saw Timothy, which was on February 23 of 2000, he was bound to a metal chair by his hands and legs and his neck was tied to a shelf behind him with a clear plastic zip tie. He stated he could see this only through a hole in the wall, and when his parents started beating Timothy, he left as he didn't want to get into trouble for watching. Will also stated that later, when his father removed Timothy from the chair restraints, he just slumped over onto the ground. His mother, Lisa, came in and called for her husband as she could see that there was something very wrong. Will said he helped his dad perform CPR on Timothy before being told to fill up the upstairs bathtub with cold water. He did this and then assisted his dad in carrying Timothy upstairs and put him in the tub. Nobody called 911. Later, his mother told him that Timothy was okay, but Will never saw him again after that. So Lisa Boss was charged with first-degree murder, first-degree kidnapping, and child endangerment. In December 2002, Donald was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole, after only two hours of jury deliberations. He of course filed several appeals claiming his attorneys were ineffective, um, that judge James D. Scott erred in denying his motion for a change of venue and a motion for a new trial and prosecutorial misconduct. In August of 2010, the Iowa Court of Appeals affirmed the Iowa court's lower decision to deny post-conviction relief. And in November of 2010, the Iowa Supreme Court announced it would not review the decision. He will serve the remainder of his sentence in the Iowa State Penitentiary in Fort Madison, Iowa. On November 10, 2003, Lisa Boss pled guilty to attempted murder, voluntary manslaughter, child endangerment, and willful injury and was sentenced to 50 years, eligible for parole after 17 and a half years. She is at the Iowa Correctional Institution for Women in Mitchellville. Interesting note about Lisa. While in prison, Lisa divorced Donald and changed her name to Lisa Green 
after marrying a jail inmate, Joseph Green, on November 3rd, 2003. This was just one week before her guilty plea. The two could not be together due to jail policies prohibiting visitation or contact between men and women inmates. So I'm not really sure how they even knew each other or how that works, um, but yeah, they were married. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, Jenna, but I used to work in Lamar's in an attorney's office for mm -hmm. Jeffrey Neary. Do you remember that? You wouldn't probably. You were way no. old. But anyway, at this time, Jeff Neary became a judge. And so Judge Jeffrey Neary conducted the ceremony. So that was just kind of an interesting thing for me to note. <laughs> I have a connection here. Joseph Green, her husband, was sentenced to 15 years in prison for second degree arson, assault on a police officer, and eluding a police officer. So I'm just not sure, but I don't think the two have ever been in any physical contact with each other. I don't know, but they will probably get out um, around the same time. So we'll see how that works out. Um, anyway, Wait, this is where she, she's getting out. When is she getting out? So she was um, sentenced to 17 and a half years and she would be eligible. No, excuse me. So she was sentenced to 50 years, but she would be eligible for parole after 17 and a half years. So why do you think she got so much of a lighter sentence than he did? Well, she did state one of her defenses was that he was abusive. Her husband, Donald, was abusive, not only to the children, but to her as well. And so mm -hmm. she wasn't able to, you know, tell him anything or do anything against him. So, and then she, of course, blamed it all on him, that he was the one who killed Timothy. He was the one who beat Timothy. It was all his fault. Well, and they have, obviously, the testimony was that Will and the father are the ones who put him in the tub and everything as well, right? Right. Okay. I think that at the point where, you know, she found him and, well, she found him slumped over and, and called her husband and said something was very wrong. You know, you're not there, but mm -hmm. he's up in the bathroom, you know, with the two boys or whatever, putting Timothy in the bathtub. I don't know. She could have easily to me called 911. Oh yeah. But, yeah. You know, on a podcast on abuse and, and how that is a fear and traumatic experience. And, and so this quote, this is where, you know, if you were upset before Lisa's attorney, Robert Sikma stated, quote, Green had been an overburdened mother taking care of seven biological children and four special needs children that had been placed in her home when the family lived in Michigan. The stress and trauma Green had endured in the past two years is unimaginable, end quote. That kind of infuriated me because, yeah. Jenna, you grew up with foster kids. We had, we had foster kids in and out of our house. And you know, again, yeah, if you can't handle them, then you do something about it. You don't hurt them by any means. You get the help that you need. You, you talk to social workers. And again, you don't ever, ever foster kids for the money. Right. Well, Clearly, and, and, when you're fostering this many kids at a time, and several of them are special needs, I know there's some wonderful people not, out there who can do it, but most people cannot. <laughs> right. And I think that not only did we foster kids um because we had the the means to and the 
ability to give them a good life. But um, we, you and I and Alicia also worked with kids with disabilities. And I just feel like my own personal opinion regarding children is just that they are like angels of this earth and they don't have a voice. They cannot stand up for each other and like they need to be protected. And then on top of it, you've got a child with a disability. Like it's just like, they're so defenseless that crimes like this make me so infuriated because there's just abs. You, you just killed a completely defenseless little boy. Right. There's literally no justification. There's, I don't care if you're stressed. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it, it hurts me. <laughs> right. Because if you're stressed, then, then you go and ask somebody for help. You go and say, I can't do this. And, and you find these, you know, as much as I don't like kids being bounced around, I also Mm -hmm. want them to be safe. I don't want them to be hurt. So if that means you need help and you know, whatever, then that's what you go and do. Okay. So the interesting part again, and this is, is part of this, like I said, I remember when this happened and this was huge news around here. So what I didn't know and found out in researching this was that during the time Iowa was investigating the murder of Timothy, they were in contact with the Michigan state police, you know, since this couple lived in Michigan. So Michigan shared that they were looking into the death of Donald's brother, David, stepdaughter. Remember I said David's name before that he was very vocal about Donald not doing this and and that it was everybody else's fault. Well, Mm -hmm. the whole time of that is they are investigating David or they believe David had a part in his stepdaughter's death. His stepdaughter's name was Jennifer. And I don't know. I I hope I don't massacre this name, but Jennifer Gottskog of Lake City, Michigan. Her body was found on May 17, 1996 by a sixth grader at a rest area while on a school outing. She was reported as a runaway earlier Um, And Jennifer had accused David of molesting her, but then she retracted that statement in 1994. During the investigation, Iowa authorities interviewed both Donald and Lisa Boss, as well as their daughter, Amanda. And some of that information they gave pieced together with information that they already had contributed to David's arrest. So, you know, Michigan had some information, and then once they talked to Donald and Lisa, and I think mostly Amanda, boss they were able to make an arrest okay so the plymouth county iowa county attorney darren raymond stated that the two states had quote a close relationship that spanned the two states over the next four years end quote officials were aware that david was a truck driver who drove from his and his stepdaughter's home in Merritt, michigan to his parents home in baldwin michigan jennifer was found between those two locations at a rest stop So it was not until August 2004 that David Boss was charged with the murder. I'm going to add now another Boss sibling into this mix. So David and Donald had a sister, Beverly, and she was a key witness in David's trial. Apparently, David gave his sister a note of some kind. It was really unclear in my research what this note was, but the authorities got it and then the note was reviewed by an expert analyst of handwriting and this became a big thing at at trial also she was aware of the sexual abuse by david on jennifer and he did confess to her the murder 
um, in 2001. On November 3rd, 2005, Donald Boss's brother, David, was convicted of first-degree murder, just like his older brother, Donald. And David Boss took her to the rest area, took his stepdaughter to the rest area, where he strangled and stabbed her repeatedly. At the trial, it was stated that his motive may have been that he thought she was pregnant with his child. As one of Jennifer's friends came forward and told them that Jennifer told her that she was pregnant and that David was going to arrange for her to have an abortion. One of his cellmates also came forward and stated that David confessed to him that Jennifer was pregnant and that she was a threat to their marriage. Of course, David also filed his appeals and it was just kind of interesting a little bit of some of his reasoning for filing appeal. Uh, one of his reasonings was that his sister was a liar, basically. He said that his sister Beverly was untruthful and she also had outstanding warrants against her at the time. He also said his cellmate had pending charges against him at the time. So he believed that there were reasons why they testified these lies to get a deal. And of course, the appeals of also of ineffective counsel, but all of these appeals were denied. Donald is convicted and has a life sentence for, for killing his son. David is convicted of murder and has a life sentence for killing his stepdaughter. I just kind of find this a little interesting, so I'm going to kind of quickly really go through the timeline here again. In 1996, the body of Jennifer, David's stepdaughter, is found at a rest stop. In 1999, that's when Lisa and Donald Boss moved from Jackson, Michigan to Remsen, Iowa. In February 23 of 2000, that is when Timothy is murdered. So Jennifer is killed before they leave. So they leave, they move, you know, a few years after that. And then within a year, pretty much, Timothy is murdered. Mm -hmm. January 2002 is when Donald is charged with, with Timothy's murder. November 2002, Donald's trial begins. December 2002, Donald is convicted of the murder of Timothy. November 2003, Lisa pleads guilty. And then in September of 2005, that is when David is convicted of murdering his stepdaughter. Jeez. It's so, been a long time to figure that out. Right. So this which, all begins at 1996 and it all ends in 2005, which isn't kind of uncommon. You know, it, it takes a while, but I just have to believe this is nine years of a family, which I think includes the boss parents, because, you know, if you remember, David traveled from his home to the boss parents, and in the middle of there is when he killed his stepdaughter. I think, I don't know. I just think they were all aware of it. You know, it came out that he told his sister in 2001 already that he did kill his stepdaughter, but she didn't come forward until 2005 in the trial. I don't know. It's just like they're covering up one murder after another because I also wonder too if when Lisa and Donald Boss moved to Remsen, if they knew at that time already right. that the brother right. had killed the stepdaughter. Yeah, that is a wild family. Did we ever talk about um, the show Netflix, I Am a Killer? No, I don't believe so. Really? Because that's, I think 
gosh, I finished all, I think I finished both seasons in like a day and a half because it's so good. And on there, I can't remember what episode it, it is, but I know it's season two. There's a, a boy named, I think they called him Joey, something like that. And he had like a bunch of siblings. I think they were like homeless at one point, but they're, his parents like abused him. And it's kind of like that with those other siblings. Cause clearly Timothy was not the only one abused. They're right. putting them in cages and stuff. And it's just so sad to think about that. And then there were parts of that where it's like, they had to try to get testimony from the kids and you can tell the kids they're like, I don't know what to say. Um, and that's what that reminded me of when the boy is like, you know, I looked through the hole, but then I, I ran away cause I didn't want to get in trouble. Trying to get a testimony from like a, a, an abused child is just so crazy to me. I don't know. Very traumatizing again, because yeah. when you think about that too, is, is that they, they got this child involved in this murder too. They, you know, they traumatized him for life. And it's hard to blame them when you grow up with such abuse, but. Right. So that boy who had to see, you know, his, his brother Timothy get beat and see him just tied to a chair is, gosh, I just hope he's okay now. Right. Like, I hope right. he isn't suffering because that's not fair that his childhood now has scarred him for life. You know, stuff like that's just really hard to fathom. Yeah. Again, we talked about how many kids they had and, mm-hmm. you know, that was un necessary and i i also kind of blame dhs and you know we've talked mm-hmm. about the movie on netflix too where dhs was charged in the yeah gabriel hernandez yeah. yeah yeah and and i do think that i you know i know dhs they have a lot of work and whatever but when you place that many kids into one home you know again i know there are people who are saints and can do this but i don't think most people can and you can't just keep placing kids in, in a home just because they'll take, they'll take them, you know, I'll, yeah, just send them this way. I'll, I'll keep taking all of them. And then again, you kind of know that there's a reason for that. And it's not to really take care of the kids the way they should be. Mm-hmm. Well, that was an interesting one. I had no idea about any of that actually, which is kind of surprising and just kind of scary honestly that I didn't know that and it you know I grew up in those areas. you used to always tell me I had friends in Rems and you used to always tell me I was not allowed to go there <laughs> for many but, reasons but yeah, you know yeah for those who are listening that are from Remsen, oh it's a great place <laughs> and they have Oktoberfest which is really nice but yeah but it's crazy how stuff like this happens and nobody remembers it and so good to remember that there are victims of that need to be, I don't know, remembered like that boy definitely deserved a better life than he got. And hopefully he got justice. I don't know that I, the idea of her coming out of jail is not something I like to think about, but. Right. And you know, more, more than that, like that I, I really hope the rest of those kids have grown up with good families. I, I don't, obviously, I, I don't know where they all are at. It's been that's not been released and there is no information on where the kids are. And that's okay because Mm -hmm. they don't need this to follow them. So I just really hope and pray that they have had the rest of their childhood was good and that they have gotten therapy and and that they are where they need to be. All right, Jenna. Well, we will be back hopefully in two weeks, right? Yeah, we have uh, taken a little break due to COVID, but I think we should get back onto our regular scheduled release of our episodes and stuff all right everybody thanks for listening today and again 
we will be back with you in a couple weeks. Bye.